morning on the Fan Morning Show. Seven o'clock guests, you know it. Just a staple of our weekly coverage of the NFL. Our guy, Charles Davis, NFL on CBS colorist, color analyst, calling Chiefs and Jags Sunday in Jacksonville. Charles, we chatted with one of our newest friends, Ian Eagle, yesterday, all about you. The whole interview, 30 minutes about Charles Davis. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, it, that that will explain when he doesn't speak to me when I see him. <laughs> that will totally explain it. Well, we did Absolutely. ask him. Oh, he's, he's great, isn't he? He's, he's wonderful. Terrific. I think we're we're good friends by association now, uh, even though it was the first time we chatted. Uh, we did ask him for a tiny tidbit about who the man Charles Davis is that we don't hear and know from the radio, and he said that you love chocolate and you have a little sneaky chocolate during each call. We learned that you a chocolate guy, Jose. Yes. He... he he figured it out, boy, quick. I mean, there, I can't sneak anything past it at all. Of course, I'm not sure I was really trying because somewhere around the middle of the second quarter, any chocolate? Anyone have any chocolate? Is there any chocolate in here? So I don't think that I'm really hiding it. What's your go-to? Like, Is it like an almond, dark chocolate, like a mint chocolate? Listen, if you just give me a Hershey's mm. with, with almonds, oh, yes. I, I'm done. It's over. A little texture. It's it, it, it's a wrap. It's an absolute wrap at that point. But I'll go anywhere. And, you know, the worst part is when you get close to Halloween, all right, and then you have the small candies oh. because, you know, everyone stocks up for the kids. And then that time frame, so all the small little Mr. Good bars, mm. and, you know, all those little ones that are in there. Oh, yeah. You eat them and you kind of forget that you've eaten like 25 of them and they don't they don't have like negative calories that they do add up like real chocolate bars as well. <laughs> it's deceiving. You know, you know what I think? <laughs> Alish, that is such a great, such a great, great point. And here's what I think of when that comes up. Kevin Costner did the movie for love of the game. I don't know if you guys ever saw a baseball movie, you know, Kevin loved baseball movies and it's him, John C. Riley, um, Simmons, you know, the, the guy from whiplash. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, good cast, Kelly Preston, Jenna Malone. Anyway, at one point, <laughs> John C. Riley comes into Costner's room and he sees the little bottles from the hotel room, the little alcohol bottles. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're, and he says, and his, his, his name was uh, Billy Chapel in the movie, and they called him Chappie. Mm-hmm. And John C. Riley comes in, he sees all the little bottles, he goes, Chappie? A lot of little bottles make a big bottle, you know. <laughs> so, so for me, it, I might as well be having the regular size candy bars, mm. like the cool families. Mm. They give the full candy bars on Halloween. Well, we like always knew where they were flying to, mm-hmm. right? You knew who the you knew who they were, and that's where you went. And in and in my hometown in in in, in New York, we had one family that gave those out nicest man you would ever meet that was, was would give him out in the Halloween. Turned out, true story, turned out to be later the head of one of the five families of, of, of the oh. mafia in, oh. in New York City. <laughs> okay. I kid, I, I kid you not, the coolest dude going though, right? Like every time you talk about the serial killer, you know, the person who committed the most heinous crime in there and they interview the neighbors, what do the neighbors always say? He was a quiet man, didn't bother anyone. Or he was so nice, we thought he was great. He was the one who always <laughs> was the permanent pitcher and we played <laughs> whipple ball in the backyard. This guy gave out the best Halloween candy. 
And then later I'm sitting there watching TV and there, hold it a minute. That's Mr. Yeah, that's oh him. Oh my goodness. Wow. So it was a front. It was a Halloween front. He could, he was trying he could to, you afford know, the expensive candy bars. He's trying to redirect everyone or misdirect everyone uh, with large candy bars. And you know what? Uh, it's a, that usually gets the job done. Uh, the run game got the job done for the Philadelphia Eagles last night. Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting one because they look a little sluggish, uh, against, uh, yeah. new England in week one. And they kind of looked a little sluggish, maybe incapable of like showing off the full arsenal offensively, but then they, you know, realize or remember where their bread is buttered and they absolutely, uh, run over the Vikings when it matters the most, uh, is, was that like a step towards being back back for the Eagles? Are they sort of in the process of pacing themselves and just, tiptoeing into the season or did you feel like that was more of a complete performance than I was giving it credit for? No, Justin, I think they don't want to tiptoe into it. They don't want to ramp up into it. Nick Sirianni talked about the end of the new England game last week and blamed himself with, you know, I didn't do enough in preseason. I didn't play the starters. I'm going to have to rethink that for next year. Okay. So he's writing that down in his book. I think most of us like, yeah, yeah, whatever coach speak, you know, you just didn't play as well as you wanted to play. But I think he's readjusting to life without Miles Sanders because he knew what he had in Sanders, and he knew how the rotation would go with him. Um, Kenneth Gainwell was his two-minute back. Um, obviously, Boston Scott was the Giants' killer. You know, he, he had people, right? <laughs> you know, you who's my second guy? Who's my third guy? The whole thing. Now that Sanders is gone, all right. How does Rashad Penny fit for me? How does DeAndre Swift fit for me? I think he's figuring that part out. And the one thing we always have to keep in mind, go to the roots of a person, go to the roots of a coach. A lot of those influences stay with you. Nick Sirianni is the literal scion of a coach. His dad, a big-time coach in western New York, has stadium named after him right in the area, the whole deal. He has always told him from day one, you win football games, offensive, defensive lines, you run the football. His brother, Washington and Jefferson, a division uh, Division two school, or division three, I can't remember if it's division two or three, wins 80% of his games, extremely successful. Another brother won three state titles in Western New York in high school before he retired. The Sirianis all have one thing in common. Check their teams. They run the football with authority. And he got back to that last night. And with that offensive line, you should get back to doing that. But he had to figure out what he's got in Penny. He's got to figure out what he's got in Swift. They're, they're finding their way still, but that's the roots. That's who Nick Sirianni is. That's what he wants to be. And he's going to run the football come heck or high water. On the other side of the uh, field, Vikings 0-2 to start the season. I know there's lots of football to be played, but uh, <clears throat> history suggests that an 0-2 start is not favorable. Um, I think only 12 of 125 teams in the last decade or two actually made it to the playoffs. Uh, I know this was supposed to be maybe like a competitive rebuild time for the Vikings, but do they look like a team that can you know, scratch together a couple wins this season to make something of it? Or is 0-2 too big of a deficit to actually have those high aspirations? I don't think 0-2 is too big of a deficit, Alish. although you're exactly right. I mean, the, <laughs> the numbers have suggested that for years and the numbers have played out. I mean, my game this week, just for comparison, mm-hmm. the conversation going into it is, if Kansas City goes 0-2, they'll be the fifth defending Super Bowl champion to start a season 0-2. <laughs> Out of the previous four, three did not make the playoffs. 
One did. It was Dallas. That was the Emmitt Smith contract holdout, and they went back and won their Super Bowl. But the other three didn't make the, didn't make the playoffs. Kansas City in their history, franchise history, all right, 64 years, 65 years, whatever the number is, right? In their history, they have started 0-2 15 times. They've made the playoffs once. <laughs> now, every year is its own year. We know that. But to your point, the numbers tell us over time, 0-2 is where no one wants to be. This is a Minnesota team I expect to take a step back this year anyway because they won way too many games last year by one possession with a really bad defense. I just didn't expect them to come back this year and the ball bounce their way. They're still going to be competitive. They're still going to be a tough out. You saw last night they were getting run out of the stadium. They made it a game again anyway. They're going to be fine that way. I just don't know if they're going to get enough breaks to be the Minnesota we saw last year. I see them teetering much more towards being 500, but a 500 that you better not play with, if you know what I'm saying, and and you're an opponent. You better go get them when you can because offensively they're still pretty high-powered. Yeah, it feels like a team that's going to play 17 one-score games, and because they won a bunch of them last year, they're going to lose a bunch of them this year because things tend to even out. Uh, we're talking to Charles Davis, uh, CBS color analyst, be on the call for Chiefs-Jaguars. This Sunday, it's a big, big game. Chiefs trying to avoid going down 0-2. Uh, should there be some sirens going off when it comes to Chiefs' kingdom, I believe they call it? Uh, it, it was uh, obviously, you know, the story, well, one of the stories of week one, position players, skilled guys for the Chiefs letting Patrick Mahomes down. Do you expect them to sort that out, or has that, that bite finally been taken out of Kansas City? No, I expect them to sort it out, Justin. They did last year. Because you remember losing Tyreek Hill and, oh, my goodness, what are you going to do with, you know, balls downfield and where the big plays coming from? And Patrick Mahomes with a essentially a new rebuilt. Some guys had to take on different roles, receiving core, and, of course, Travis Kelsey, which we never have to never forget about. He threw for over 5,000 yards and won the league MVP. And as only doing research for this game, this is this is unbelievable. I think he had one touchdown pass last season where the ball traveled 20 yards in the air or more. One. Now, you know the arm Mahomes has. And you think to yourself, with that big arm, you're going to have those kind of plays. They were much more of a small ball team, if I use my baseball analogy. They were not playing the long ball, but (laughs) just like a lot of little bottles make a big bottle, a lot of little throws make a big one. And that's what they did last year. And it worked out very well. You know, they had to incorporate Juju Smith-Schuster into the lineup. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had to start catching the football, something he didn't do much of in the early part of his career. Um, Obviously, Kelsey was the guy, you know, no no matter what, you throw the ball to 87, good things were going to happen for you. But last year, Patrick Mahomes threw 28 touchdown passes to either the tight end or running back position. 28. That tied for first in history of the NFL for the most for a quarterback in a season. So he adapted to what he had. He will adapt again. And look, my grandmother, who I'm telling you this, she and I, I mean, she, she, she loved me and I was her favorite and I'm don't, I don't mind saying it. And I didn't mind telling the rest of the grandkids, you know, I'm her favorite, you know, and the whole deal. I miss her dearly. Mrs. Harry. That's right. She used to say all the time to me, Charles, better polish up those damaged goods because you're stuck with them. Meaning 
Kadarius Tony didn't catch the ball last week. Sky Moore didn't catch a ball last week, right? Justin Ross, I think, caught maybe one. All those people were have had to step up without um, Kelsey. Didn't really do it. Second half of that game, he targeted wide receivers 12 times, had two completions. Okay. They've got to catch the football. They've got to get open. They've got to present themselves. I don't expect Andy Reid to say, guess what? They stink. Patrick, if we get Kelsey back, you only throw it to 87. Over a 17-game season, they've got to find ways to Mm -hmm. make plays. They've got to get confidence for them. Don't Don't you think this game, very early on, he's going to design plays for Tony, Sky Moore, right? Justin Ross, if he puts him on the field, all of them, because they need the confidence and they need to work them into the lineup because they can't go 17 games and only throw it to Kelsey when he returns. How are you viewing Trevor Lawrence this year? I mean, this is going to be good uh, head-to-head with the oh. quarterbacks, but, I mean, he, yeah. he's he's got a, a lot of fun from last year, like the upstart Jags, but yep. this year is a bit more serious. I think there's serious MVP candidacy if he could continue to, to show what he has as potential. Um, how are you viewing his, his ceiling, I guess, this season? Yeah, these are serious times, and that requires serious people. Mm. And Trevor Lawrence is serious. There's no doubt in my mind. He is the deal. I'm sorry I did my little Michael Douglas American president there. But <laughs> he he listen, Trevor Lawrence ascended last year, especially the second half of the year. And that playoff game against the Chargers when he threw four picks in the first half and came back to four touchdowns in the second half, they come from mm-hmm. twenty seven down and win. That's not a fluke. That was just telling us this kid has matured. He's handling things. Doug Peterson believes in him. The difference in who's coaching him year one versus who's coaching him year two and now year three. First time he's been at Clemson, since he's been at Clemson, he's had the same offensive people in place two years in a row, the same playbook. He is something. I just watched him uh, this week against Indianapolis in the opener, and he looks like he's matured into that quarterback. He's easily one of the top ten in the league right now. He'll be top five by the end of the season in my estimation. He's got everything. There's a reason they took him at number one overall. The league got it right this time. This kid is something. Plus, he can move it. You know, you look at him, you don't think about him running the ball. He's not going to run it like Josh Allen, but you give him opportunities and you give him open space and he takes off and goes, he's going to get you good yardage. They actually ran quarterback draw for him against Indianapolis, so he is more than capable. But as far as a big right arm, and now he has a true wide receiver one in Calvin Ridley, Look out. I think this kid is special. Besides, my jealousy about the hair, his hair, is so far off the charts. You know how much as I love chocolate? That's how green-eyed I get in jealousy when I see that kid's hair and realize mine. Yeah, mine's going in the other direction. And his, he's got shampoo companies and hair companies lined up to do endorsements with him. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't seen more, come to think of it. I mean, it should probably be, we should be inundated by Trevor Lawrence. You, you know something. You know something. You make a you make a great point. I'm just going to make this very quick. Mm-hmm. We probably should be, but we're not. Does that not tell us something about Trevor Lawrence too? Because mm. I think he's being very. I think he's being very judicious about what he's doing right now. I think he's made a conscious decision. I'm not going to do a heck of a lot out there in that space. I feel like he wants to quote unquote prove himself before he does anything else. Because you're, you're exactly right, Justin. There's no way he doesn't have a million of them lined up. 
I want, you mentioned Calvin Ridley. I wanted to ask you about Calvin Ridley. I mean, uh, I don't know if this is like, you know, I guess betting on NFL football is not the greatest crime in the world, but this is a redemption story, and it feels like yeah. he could be one of the great weapons in the NFL this year, sort of out of the blue, maybe with association to Trevor Lawrence, but, uh, you know, predominantly uh, by his own accord. Do you see him as, yeah. you know, one of the best skill position players potentially in the NFL this year? Certainly. Certainly. Just one game sample, no doubt. Plug in the Indianapolis tape from last week, eight for 101, touchdown. But it's how he got them, the route running, the quickness in and out of breaks, the strength in catching the football, the run after the catch. It's all there. You know, we we talked about him coming back and having not played, and would there be ring rust? You know, would we see him after, you know, ease his way into being out Calvin Ridley again? Nope. <laughs> came out jet propelled. I mean, came out ready. He is, he looks great. And I give the Jaguars credit because when he came back in the off season, in the OTAs and the mini camps, they had a real plan in place to bring him back. And it wasn't getting him on the field and turning him loose full go and the whole deal. He'd been out for a couple of years. They really had a plan about how much work each day, what we want to do, get his legs back up under him. And they did a magnificent job of it because let me tell you something. Week one, he was special. They have a thing called the Players Tribune. Have you guys mm-hmm. heard about that where yes. players have their own writing and all? Did you I see really the like letter it. he wrote? Mm-hmm. Did you read the letter Calvin Ridley wrote? I haven't yet. I Go didn't get know. it. Okay. Okay, both both of you, you're getting a homework assignment. <laughs> no problem. Go get the letter Calvin Ridley wrote, and it explains a lot of things in there. And I'm saying just take it as it is. In other words, don't arch an eyebrow. Don't uh, – he talked about the last year he played in Atlanta, 2020, and he was what 1,300 yards, 90 catches, nine or ten touchdowns. He was a he was a monster. He said he played the entire year on what was later diagnosed as a broken foot. Mm. He would take a shot every week for the game and play, and then the next year, there's a home invasion at, at his place, and oh. it really messed him up. I mean, just these people, and they, they had video because they had the, the cameras. Mm-hmm. And he said on the video, you see like six people armed going through, oh. ransacking his house. And his wife was really you know, scared. This, that. That's where the mental health started to kick in. He also is a young man whose parents really took bad choices as a kid. Foster home, break up his, he and his brothers, and, and then they all got back together. There's a lot in there. Read that, mm-hmm. and I've been, and I admire him more as I watch what he's doing now, based on how it came through. And he takes full responsibility for the mistake he made on the gambling. He does not put it off on anyone else. He doesn't say, "Oh, I didn't understand the rule." He just said, "I messed up." And the, he said, "At the end of this all, I want the Ridley name back as a positive. That is my goal." He's well on his way. Yeah, I just pulled it up. It's called The Letter to the Game, so people can check it out at the Players' Tribune. Uh, yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, I can see some big quotes popped out of it, so uh, it looks like good reading between the break. Um, okay, so I want to ask you about Aaron Rodgers because we haven't had a chance to chat since Monday Night Football. Um, yeah. Obviously, just devastating for the game, for Aaron Rodgers, uh, for the Jets, but I wonder if we're starting to look forward. Uh, big decisions loom for them, big decisions for Rodgers, I mean, in terms of his his career, uh, but we won't need to get into yeah. that yet. But what, what do you think the Jets do next? How do they fill the mass? of Aaron Rodgers sized void, which seems impossible, but they're going to have to try to at least fill yeah. half of it. Yeah. Impossible to fill Alish. You know that you're exactly right about it. How do you try and mitigate, right? We know the defense and the defense proved again. They're as good as they think they are. 
Right? They were they were terrific against Buffalo on on Monday night. But I think in 2023 football, I don't think you can just play that type of defense again because they will have to channel the 2000 Baltimore Ravens in order to go through the season, have the season they want. Remember that Ravens team, their offense didn't score a touchdown, an offensive touchdown the whole month of October. Okay. I still don't think that the way the game is played, that your defense can hang on that long. And at some point, if it goes that way and the offense isn't producing around week nine, the defense will walk across to the offense and probably punch the quarterback in the face. And that just doesn't work very well. So, the second thing is with Zach Wilson, if indeed they're going to ride him, I don't think they can do it where, hey, Zach, every game, don't make a mistake, hand it to Brees Hall, hand it to Dalvin Cook, offensive line, let's, let's get it together that way. We make short throws. I think they've got to make him play or ask him to play closer to who they drafted, the number two pick overall. A little more freewheeling, bigger plays downfield, some plays out of the pocket. Will they be careful with them will they try and call their shots with it yes do they still want them to take care of the ball absolutely but guys i just don't think they can play old school offensive football like i would have played in high school new paltz new york and win the requisite number of games to go playoffs and go deep it's just too hard to do in the league especially in the league where the offense is in your division our track meets mm. Buffalo is going to be better. We know that. Josh turned it over four times. Okay? Miami, we saw what they did with the Chargers. Okay? New England's going to be interesting to watch because they have a legit offensive coordinator now. So, Mac Jones is going to be better. They won't be the same track meet, but they'll be better on offense. I just don't think you can go through an entire season where your offense is just simply don't make a mistake. Let our defense give us an opportunity. That's just too much to put on one side of the ball. Uh, last one for you, Charles. I don't know if it was an equal and opposite reaction, but like, you know, the, the devastation of the Rogers situation, I thought was somewhat reflected in the euphoria and just straight vibes with the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. I mean, it felt like if there was any vibes team, any team that was maybe liberated by someone or a group of people leaving the organization, it might have been Green Bay. And maybe that's just a bunch of young players, a new regime, uh, week one going perfectly. But it felt like Green Bay may have captured something here. Uh, what do you expect from Jordan Love and a, and a young Packers team led by Matt LaFleur, who finally may get the credit he deserves, uh, despite you know kind of being you know b- being at the front of really really good yeah. teams, but overshadowed by the quarterback for so long. You know, Justin, it's interesting because Green Bay, obviously, it was Favre, then it was Rodgers. Now here's Jordan Love. Green Bay has actually followed the the true old school model that if you have a quarterback, he doesn't play right away. You know, most of us, you know, and I'm the biggest advocate. If I'm drafting a quarterback high, I'm drafting him getting ready to play now. Otherwise, I feel like I'm wasting time. That's just always kind of been, that's just always, but it's been my philosophy, especially in the last five, 10 years. I draft him high. Why am I sitting him? Especially if I'm sitting behind a guy who's just a guy. Makes no sense to me. But in Green Bay, Favre sat behind Don Mikowski. And people have forgotten that Don Mikowski had one of those magical seasons that gave him the nickname, the Magic Man. They were 10-6, and six, almost went to the playoffs, and the whole league was all about Don Mikowski. Then he gets hurt. Favre takes over history. Favre's there. They draft Rodgers. He sits for all those years. When he takes over, the first year wasn't great. After that, history. Here's Jordan Love, same formula that the Rodgers went through. He looked pretty darn good week one. Okay, week one sample. I think he's going to be a good player. 
but I'm not going to put him in the Hall of Fame right away. Let's see how it plays out. But a really nice one, and to your point, for Green Bay, cathartic. Mm-hmm. Woo, we're okay. Aaron somewhere else. They've got other things. You know, no one wanted to be hurt, but we don't have to worry about it. We have a quarterback. We can move forward. We can play. I think you're, you're spot on with that one. And in that division, Green Bay is pretty overlooked. A lot of us want to just give it to Detroit. I think Detroit's the best team in the division. But I'm not going to say that Green Bay won't be a factor now. And I think you're exactly right. They can clear out. They can move on. And off they go. And in a quick pivot, the Jets, they're angst. Everything that went wrong, they found a way to win a game on Monday night that they probably shouldn't have in overtime. And the flip side of that is Buffalo, there's zero explanation for losing a game that Aaron Rodgers played four plays. You're right about None. that, Charles. You are very Zero. right about that. There's, there's <laughs> nothing. There's nothing you can do with that game where you could say, "Well," and then, "Well," if you tell anyone of Buffalo's caliber, any team that's that good in the league, "Hey, Aaron Rodgers going to play the first four plays against you. He's not going to play anymore." That's a win, and and hopefully for Buffalo, they're not looking back at the end of the year and that game decides something because that's not one you should lose. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yep, they can't afford to go 0-2 again, uh, as we were talking about. That's a, a big a big hole to crawl out of, even though it's just week two of the NFL. Charles, we appreciate you jumping on this morning. Have a great call on Sunday, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, you take care. And when I see Katie Blackbird next time, I'll tell her, hey, from her teammate, okay? All right, there you go. I appreciate that, there Charles. We'll chat Welcome soon. back from Portugal, Justin. Be oh. good. Thanks, Thanks Charles. Charles. Thanks, uh, Charles. Charles Davis, NFL and CBS color analyst. Uh, big, big slate of games this weekend. <clears throat> it's funny, just like a little nugget. Could have said nougat. A little nugget with yeah. the chocolate, and all of a sudden you learn that uh, Charles Davis was trick-or-treating <laughs> at, a mobster, at Tony Soprano's house. <laughs> what? That, if you asked me where the conversation with Charles Davis would go this morning, I don't think in a million years I would have pictured us chatting about Full-size mo- candy bars at uh, I, at mobsters' houses? I don't think that was something I had ever no. anticipated. So you learn something new with Charles every week, and uh, that was certainly something. Okay, uh, we got to take a break shortly, so let's do something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. I'm going to give you the Jason Kelsey thing. Okay. Okay, so you often think the pro athletes just get free tickets for games, right? Okay, am I going to bring a bunch of my friends? I'm going to... Give you comp well, tickets. I suppose, but the amount of complaining NHL players seem to do well, about it, is, it makes me think that, There's you know. some real complaining. Okay. You remember when it was the Kelsey Bowl? Super Bowl? Super Bowl, yeah. That's, uh, that's tough. Jason Kelsey loses. He yeah. also loses $50,000 in Super Bowl tickets. So he wants to bring his wife, who was pregnant at the time, and their two children, Elliot and Wyatt, who are two and three years old. Okay who probably don't really understand what's going on as he quotes himself. Uh, we're playing, we're paying almost bleeping amount of money for a kid who's not even going to sit in the seat and watch her dad play in the game. That's bananas. This is on the, <laughs> the it's funny. Eh? This is on the, uh, the newest documentary called Kelsey. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon prime. Yes, it is. Uh, well, that's the thing. The, the documentary 50, will pay for the seats. Yeah. Well, I know, but it's just interesting that, you know, it's the super bowl and, they have to pay $50,000 for tickets for their family. I just think it's uh, it's not something I was thinking about. I'm surprised at Super Bowls there isn't like a lounge for the families of both teams. 
That would make some sense, right? Yeah. I guess you got to pay for the lounge, but I mean... I think the team would pay for it. You would think so. Or you but just 50, get them. $50,000. It's part of the team facilities. They don't pay for the locker rooms. They just go inside the locker rooms. And $50,000 for your pregnant wife and your two children under the age of four who... Just to lose to your brother. To lose to your brother. Who's more handsome. <laughs> and is probably dating Taylor Swift. Is he? Wait, Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor wait, Swift. Wait, you weren't here for this? I'll update you. I was the here break. when he made her a wristband. No, and no, no. Get things it have her. changed. You were in Portugal. <gasps> I'll give you the update after the, uh, during the break because they're quietly hanging out. Wow. So take that as you'd like. Okay. He shot his shot. There might be a little Swifty love there. Again, I would like that is that is out of bounds. Uh, I, if I was in that position, because you know you're just going to get embarrassed through song. That's exactly I don't want Travis what Jesse said when I told him. On, that's exactly what Jesse said when I told him on the air. Yeah, the other we're day. sensitive about these things. Anyway, I mean, power couple. I'll tell you that. Um, okay, let's take a break. We're gonna chat with R.J. Barrett of the New York Knicks and, of course, Team Canada, who won a bronze at the FIBA World Cup, first ever and best ever showing uh, in terms of what they're bringing home. He was on the broadcast last night with Dan and Buck. We got a chance to chat with him on his way to the broadcast last night about what this honor meant and what this opportunity ahead at the Paris Olympics means for him and his family. R.J. Barrett after the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Paris Olympics less than a year away already. Hopefully get some fans over to Paris to watch Canada at the Olympic Games. And they clinched that this tournament at the FIBA World Cup over in Indonesia. And R.J. Barrett was an instrumental part of that and has been for this Canadian basketball team for a little while. New York Knicks and Team Canada guard R.J. Barrett. We got a chance to chat with him yesterday on his way to the Blue Jays game where he met with Dan and Buck and brought his bronze medal uh, and was on the Sportsnet broadcast and that was really great. So here's R.J. and Justin and I chatting yesterday evening. Well, first off, a massive congratulations from all of us here. And I, I would speak on behalf of all of Canada that got to watch this incredible run at the FIBA World Cup. You're coming back home. You're letting it sink in. How are you feeling now with the hardware back home and uh, the ability to let it all sink in? Honestly, just, you know, feeling, uh, feeling pretty good. Just, you know, being back home and then just hearing, you know, all the congrats just from some, uh, from everybody down here. Just It, it really feels special because, you know, we... we we were able to do this for Canada, you know, it's for our country. So um, to, to kind of, you know, be received as well as we have been since coming back feels uh, was pretty good. Well, it's extremely deserved, of course. And uh, I guess in terms of the entire tournament, when you're there, you're enjoying the fan base. People traveled all the way from Canada. We saw the crowds. The crowds were uh, pretty exciting at times. They were booing. Then they were doing MVP chants. Uh, what was the contingency of Canadians like there, the fan base that followed you guys around, and how much did they get up for your run at the tournament and eventually um, a podium finish? Yeah, man, it was it was great. You know, as the tournament went along, just more and more fans, more and more support. And uh, so it just... It felt great, like like I said, like it was just an overall just a great experience to just be a part of that, be a part of history being made, and I'm um, just you know to to know that our our country's behind us 100 percent was was huge. So RJ, I'm sure the phone blew up at least twice. Uh, what got more of a reaction? Was it qualifying for the Olympics or was it beating the United States for bronze? 
Um, qualifying was definitely was definitely amazing. But I feel like beating the U.S. for bronze was just it was better because I mean that was the last game. You know, like we we got a medal. Like I think like getting a medal is also something that's huge for us. Like just being able to go to the tournament and leaving with something. You know what I mean? Like leaving something that you know like when I grow up. Like, when I grow up a little, you know, later on, I can show my kids and, like, you know, stuff like that. Like, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be amazing to just have us always, you know, forever in the record books as as that team that was able to go to, you know, the FIBA World Cup and get a medal. Yeah, I mean, definitely an amazing accomplishment. Uh, but it's an interesting tournament in that there were kind of two objectives the whole time, right? It was to try and win the thing, but it was also to try to go to the Olympics. Uh, was there, like, a relief that came over you guys when you when you got the task number one done? Did that make things easier? Did it make things harder? Because maybe there was a little built-in letdown. Like, what was the emotion like after uh, completing priority one? No, I mean, we celebrated it for sure. Like, you know, we, we knew what we had done. It was... It was amazing, and I think it kind of motivated us to just continue to be like, look, we, we started out um, so well already. Let's, you know, let's keep the train rolling, you know, and then let's go. We were trying to, obviously trying to win the tournament. You guys played a lot of massive basketball countries, and you end up there in the fine, in the bronze medal game against the United States. You obviously know there's a lot of rivalry between Canada and the United States. A little bit sweeter to be able to do it over those guys. A lot of them you play with. A lot of them you know personally, probably training and growing up in the same circles. But to do it over the United States, who failed to medal, which is a big deal for them, and to do it on that crazy buzzer beater that pushed you guys to overtime, like the story was incredible. We loved watching it, but I can imagine for the kids in the Canadian in jerseys it was it extra sweet it was extra sweet and like i said like i just the feeling of just being able to just accomplish this man is like it, you can't really put it into words you know so just every honestly everything like that we've been we've been saying or that we've been feeling just since the tournament and throughout the whole entire just you know month that we had together like it was just special for so many reasons so how are you going to uh, weaponize the bragging rights over Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart? Are you going to have them in a Canadian hockey sweater uh, before a game this season? How, how are you going to rub it in their faces that you're able to be on the winning side in that bronze medal game? So, you know, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we're going to go there. And um, Evan Fournier is on my team, too. We beat France by 30. So I'm, I'm just going to – I don't even need to say anything. I'm just going to go in there, and I'm sure one of my teammates is going to bring it up. And then at that point, then you know I have all the bragging rights. But I'm gonna I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it slide until somebody brings it up. <laughs> we can't wait to see the the viral content that will definitely come from that reunion. And you know what? Put them through it. Put them uh, make them have maple syrup shots or something uh, to represent our Canada exactly. culture. Uh, we're talking to R.J. Barrett, member of the Canadian men's basketball team in New York Knicks, of course. So a lot of storylines circled this tournament, um, and we'll definitely get to a few. But we want to start with Dylan Brooks because we know Dylan Brooks. You know, uh, from an external aspect, we've seen a lot of talk and conversation about who Dylan Brooks was before this Canadian opportunity to represent our country and i think a lot of our our fan base really got to know who dylan brooks is a competitor a guy that has no shame in being tough to play against and he embraced the dylan the villain narrative but what's he like as a guy what's he like as a teammate someone that you you fight with tooth and nail to get a bronze medal uh i thought his his character arc was incredible during this tournament and your perspective of him would be even better to get yeah no for sure i mean uh 
I've always said it. Um, Dylan, man, DB, he's just he's a great teammate. You know, that's a guy that you want on your side at all times. You know, so um, to have him come out and play play with us this summer, man, it was it was huge. It was amazing, and obviously, you've seen it for so many reasons. Whether it was his defense, his consistent defense the whole tournament, or like you know having forty against Team USA, like that's just you know that's that's amazing. And um, to have a guy like Dylan who just competes that hard on on both sides of the ball, it's a it's a blessing, and you know we appreciate him, and he definitely helped us get to to where to where we got to for sure. Another blessing for sure was having Shea Gilgis Alexander on the team, uh, RJ. Uh, He's already put himself in conversation for greatest Canadian. And of course, Steve Nash has has, uh, carried that for a very long time. But did he wow you like he wowed everybody else watching at home? I mean, he's been doing it in the NBA for a while now, but it seemed like he took things to another level at this tournament. I think he's just showing kind of who he is. You know, uh, for me, it's not surprising. You know, I, I've I've known him a very long time now, so it's not it's not surprising at all. But I mean, he kind of just showed that he's one of the best players in in the world right now. So yeah. Of course, your own growth throughout the tournament. I, I think we saw that maybe a slower start than you had anticipated, but you kind of got better with every single game, and obviously was a massive part of where this team did end up. How did you find that your tournament went? Did you did you get a little bit of rust off early on? Was it difficult to get used to the different type of style of play at the FIBA World Cup? And 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 ultimately, looking back at what you were able to do, how proud are you of your growth as a player as well? I had two bad games. It was crazy. But um, <laughs> no, I think I did right. overall. Other than those two games, uh, I did I did pretty you know pretty good. Um, I helped the team out in just in any way that I could. I felt like I was you know steady and consistent for the team, um, and that's just you know everybody has their role on the team, and then like when you put everything together, you know we we were winning, you know. So that's what that's kind of what was important. And just staying together and just having no egos. And we just had so much fun doing it. So, you know, I think, uh, of course, I could have had a, a better tournament. I could have been played better specifically in those two games. But, you know, I, I, other than other than that, I, I think I really did a, a good job for this team. And, you know, I, I was proud of myself. Uh, we're chatting with RJ Barrett, member of the Canadian men's basketball team and of course the New York Knicks uh one of the uh, images that resonated with a lot of Canadians was Kelly Olenek and Dwight Powell hugging each other after the game and maybe some tears being shed I'm, I'm sure you're really happy for those guys who've been wearing the jersey for a long time but is there someone specific that you're really really happy that's seen this through for a long time uh and finally got their moment and you watch them have their hard work just to let, just like yours uh be paid off on a big big stage Man, all the all the all the OGs we had on the team, you know, Captain Captain Kells, you know, Captain Kells, he he's been at it 14 years, so we're definitely happy for K. We're definitely happy for Ko, and then obviously Dwight. I mean, he's just he's been so solid for this team for so many years, and then and then my my guy Melvin, my big brother, like, you know, I, I grew up watching these guys. I grew up going to the practices and. And seeing these guys, and you know, telling them I'm 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 up next, and telling them that I'm going to be on the team with them one day and stuff. So, to be just on the team with these guys that I've, I've grown up, you know, watching and looked up to, and to help them, you know, get a medal, something that they've been fighting for for years. You know, it was uh, it was it was cool. It was surreal. 
I don't know if the situation was ideal going through a bit of a coaching change uh, just months before uh, the tournament, but it seemed like Jordy Fernandez had an immense positive impact on this group. How did he help Canada achieve what it did at the FIBA World Cup? I think, you know, Coach was just, he was very honest with us from the beginning. I think his knowledge of the FIBA game as well as the NBA game uh, helped us, you know, because he, he kind of understands where, like, us NBA guys were coming from and was also showing us how we need to play in the FIBA game to be successful, you know. And um, for for Coach to, to be with a group that we only had a week training camp and then we played a couple of games and then right into a tournament, like, we only had, like, two and a half weeks to prepare versus teams that have been together for years, you know. So, um I think it was a, it was amazing, and then you know, especially the game that got us to you know the, the game that got us qualified. You know, playing against Spain, against his own country, and you know we beat them. Like, you know, uh, give a lot of credit to coach. Did an amazing job, and um, looking forward to, to next summer. Yeah, you got the squad, you got the coach, and now you have uh, about uh, a little less than a year to get ready for the Paris Olympics. When you hear that you're going to be an Olympian, you're going to wear that jersey, you're going to be able to hang it on the wall beside your dad's, how does that start to resonate? It's probably a dream come true. It's probably something you had thought about forever, but now it's a reality. Yeah, like, you know, I've always, I always knew, I don't know, I had a feeling like I always knew I was going to get there somehow, you know, and uh mm. Just now that I'm going to be able to do that, I'm so thankful, uh, just so appreciative. Just you know, that I'm I'm able to do that. I'm able to, you know, go and and play in the Olympics next year and have, like you said, have my jersey, you know, up on the wall next to my dad's. That's uh, that means a lot to me. So for you, is it like a? I know this is your dad's uh, issue more than it is yours, but is it a doors open thing for you? Open door policy: the best should come and represent Canada with you, or is this group kind of semi-protective of what you guys accomplished uh, on your own accord? You gotta ask pops. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave. We'll leave that to pops. pops. We'll leave that to pops. Yeah, that's, that's what he gets paid to do. Uh, all right, last one for you, RJ, here. Um, we won't keep you for too much longer. So you guys get a, a bronze medal. You bring home the hardware, and now you look ahead to Paris. What are the expectations? You know, you're not just the fun team that gets in now. You're the team that can make a lot of noise on the global stage. Is it podium? Is it gold medal or bust? How are you guys starting to talk about what you can achieve at the uh, Paris Olympics next year? I think the goal, obviously, is to, to win, you know, the, to win the Olympics. Go home with a gold medal. Mm-hmm. Like that's uh that's of course the goal, and um, I think having the experience that we had this year is good. Just gonna just gonna help us, you know, for next year. I mean, uh, I also think going through that adversity of losing in the semifinals and stuff like that's mm-hmm. gonna help us, you know, grow and learn and remember that feeling next year, so that uh, you know we can go there and win it all. Well, sky's the limit. Uh, we're really proud, uh, really awesome to be able to chat with you. Um, say congrats to the rest of the squad and best of luck with your upcoming NBA season. And we'll be looking forward to next year's Paris Olympics. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was RJ Barrett, New York Knicks and Team Canada Guard coming off a bronze medal at the FIBA World Cup, which was a blast to cover and only got, I think, a lot more fan base around this country looking forward to next year's Olympics.
Uh, yeah, I mean, it will certainly change the way we look at that event, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Summer Olympics are always pretty exciting. I mean, we did very, very well as a country uh, last time out and previous Olympics as well. Um, but there's like marquee events, right? We know what the marquee event is in Winter Olympics uh, when the NHL actually goes. Um, and, Correct. And I think basketball will take on sort of a new a new meaning mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what's actually most important and what m- the most casual sports fans are most dialed into uh, once we get to Paris. Okay, I gave you a little tidbit of info on the Kelsey Swift rumors. Uh, and last night, this surfaced, this clip just, it's like... Oh, another chapter. Twitter another was layer. listening when I was talking to you because this popped up on my feed uh, right during the break. Jason Kelsey talking to the Thursday Night Football nightcap panel, and he's asked directly about these rumors. And so just take it as you'd like, but he he leaves the door open for this being a real thing. Jason, you talk about family, and my, my, I have a 15-year-old daughter, and she's a big fan of a certain pop star. And you have a family no, member, God. a brother, I yes, think. Yes. I think. Yeah. And I've been hearing rumors yes. that there's... Maybe Don't, some sub. Can you I, comment on this? I've seen these rumors. I cannot comment. Damn, did damn gossip you can't be right here. We're going to TMZ. What are we doing? It's for my daughter, okay? What are we doing? Ever since catching Kelsey, everybody has been infatuated with Travis's love life. So um, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, so, yeah, I know Trav is, is having fun, and uh, we'll see what happens with whoever he ends up with. I also, I also work. He's uh, having that's, fun, that's and we'll see whatever happens with whoever he ends up with. It feels with. like the two Kelsey brothers are a little bit different in their oh, approaches. Oh, so eh? different. With but, three kids for Jason? Yes. Oh, I don't know if he had the newest one yet. Probably did because his wife was pregnant at the Super Bowl. So I believe he has three children now. Assuming, yeah. A little wholesome fam. Travis Kelsey is... He's having fun. Yeah. You should have fun. Whatever that means. You just take it as you're like, well, okay, we'll see, but it's funny. They're Again, just, I don't know how fun it's going to be when you're on blast. If if you mess up, if you take the wrong step, Travis Kelsey, it's going to be a number one hit. You know, what might, you. you know what might be fun? Sweeping the Red Sox. I think I'd have a lot of fun watching this baseball team put together three wins, even just one. And I was listening to Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker last night on the post game recap and that's an attainable goal is instead of thinking about winning series let's just focus on winning one game at a time Mm. so simple that's probably the right approach i mean i was sort of uh, i was maybe extending it just a little bit like you just approach every series like you gotta win the series like it's not devastating if you drop game one tonight like you still have the opportunity to do what you need to do which is to just win five series in a row. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of what the reality is. But a one-game-at-a-time approach may be an even better approach to that. Yep, Red Sox coming in late last night after a doubleheader against the Yankees where uh, they split the, the day, beating up on each other a little bit. Blue Jays have an opportunity to uh, stay home and rest their little head last night after a devastating sweep to the Texas Rangers. Um, there was a sign in the stands... Wake me up when sweep timber ends. Good. That's it's pretty good. That's good stuff right there. Yeah. It's a great sign. And it's uh, it's the negative. It's the cynical, and it's been hard not to be right. But, it's a funny sign, though. But, it, it but it is a funny sign. And uh, apropos, like that's that's the situation right now. Like it's not been a fun watch. It has not been a good week for the Blue Jays. It can be a better week. It can be a passable week, though, and it could be a hopeful week even. 
if they rattle off three straight victories over the Red Sox this weekend. Jose Barrios on the mound. Feel good about Mr. Barrios kicking things off for the Blue Jays. All right, we're going to take a break and talk to Jeff Blair, co-host of Blair and Barker. How can the Blue Jays recover from this sweep at the hands of uh, someone that they really, really, really needed some wins from? Uh, That's next, and we'll wrap up our show on a Friday morning with Haley Salvian of The Athletic and Big, big day. PWHL draft is on Monday, and we'll also be carrying the broadcast on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet Plus. CBC's coverage of that. She'll be on the panel, and she'll be breaking it down. Uh, Monumental Day in Women's Hockey on Monday. All that's come on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish.